recovery. We're taking pictures. We're live right now. Yo, what's up? Welcome to Sober Guy Radio. Thanks to humans for bringing us in. Thanks to you for supporting the show. We are live at the Innovations in Recovery Conference in San Diego, California, brought to you by Foundations Recovery Network. Uh, Big thanks to them uh, for bringing Sober Guy Radio out and uh, allowing us to hang out and meet some great people in the recovery industry, talk some recovery, and really hope to to change some lives. Um, Our guest today is Scott Silverman who is the man, and I don't even know Scott yet, but we're going to get to know each other a little bit right now. Yes, What's up, man? Will. How are yes, you? you will. I'm great, Shane. Nice to be here, buddy. Yeah, thank you, man. I'm glad uh, glad you joined us today. You just gave me an Join awesome us. I made book. an appointment yesterday. I came to by twice yesterday. Came early this morning, reminded you, and chased you down to make sure you're sitting in your chair. He did. You here. basically bugged the shit out of me, and right. now we're sitting together. And, we're and people have, will uh, now know who I really am. That's right. Or Only, are. Yeah, because of this, right? Yep. You got a, emotional, was it? What was that? Emotional, emotional nudity. I, I thought it was emotional sobriety. Emotion, emotional. emotional nu- don't you like that, though? Emotion. I do. I do. I don't understand it, but I really, really I gotta like it. I got to say that uh, I kind of bit off of that a bit. You ever heard the radio talk show host, Michael Savage? No, I have not. Why would you enunciate From, like that? I don't know. Is he a relative I, I like of yours? Michael Savage. Wow. Savage Nation. He says something about emotional nudity. I said, you know what? That is really cool. And it is applicable to recovery. So I kind of yeah. jacked it's it. It's like I, I do a thing called emotional ROI, mm-hmm. uh, emotional return on investment. I did that on a business show a couple of years ago. Nice. Because they want to talk about business. I said, well, how about the emotional recovery? Yeah, it works, man. Yeah, it works. I like it. I like it. I think it makes sense. So you're from San Diego, right, Scott? I am. I'm born and raised here. I'm a native San Diegan. And uh, actually, we're sitting here at the Hotel Dell. And I got to tell you, 35 years ago, this past March the 7th, I was in the reception in the big room after my wedding. Really? Actually, more in the bathroom with cocaine <laughs> for three hours than I was actually <laughs> dancing with my bride. But I made amends, and uh, we renewed our vows uh, 18 years later, and uh, it was nice. exciting. But this so, so the, the, the Hotel Dell has a lot of special memories for me. And to be honest, there's a lot of memories I just can't get back from the Hotel Dell as well. Yeah, yeah, that is funny, man. We have we have some similarities there. Then we share some common. Were you a wedding reception our, here as well? Thirty five. I years didn't ago? have it here, but I. Shane, had you're some not even thirty five years old. So I, you I'm, I'm exactly thirty five, actually. Okay, so yeah. you were born the night I was that I was shit faced in the bathroom. The night that you were doing blow in the bathroom of the Hotel Dell, I was probably. You know, it was actually cocaine. It wasn't blow because in those days the purity level was much much higher, and I had some it was friends like pure cocaine bringing up from Mexico. Yeah, because really? I used to be an unlicensed pharmacist, so I had some connections. Yeah. And it was uh, um, a special night uh, on a variety of different levels. So, you, so obviously, then you have your own story of recovery. I do. Um, where does that start? I cannot remember where it started. <laughs> but I, no, <laughs> That's actually, a great answer. Yeah, I was uh, I was in New York uh, in November 1984, and I had a week of blackouts, and oh. I was on the 44th floor of a building, and I literally I. I'd, been drinking all week and drugging all week and I was picked up the night before by New York's finest and during those days I used to carry a badge and there was a conference in town so they just assumed that I was there for the conference put me the back of their rig took me to the hotel the hotel brought the luggage rack out put me on it and put me in my bed and I woke up the next day and my ring was on my opposite hand I had a oh, knot in my shit. head I, my traveler's checks were gone my airline ticket was gone and I called downstairs the front desk and I said, hi, this is you know, Mr. Silverman and um, something's not right. And they go, oh my goodness, we've been waiting for you to call us. Please come downstairs at your earliest convenience. So I get downstairs, I go to security, they give me my ID, they give me my, my checkbook, they give me my traveler's checks, they give me my airline ticket and they said, look, 
we appreciate your business, but we never want you to come back to this hotel again. <laughs> so I said to him, I said, look, would you do me a big favor? And they go, what is that? I said, would you mind telling me what happened last night? Because I have absolutely no recollection. Then he told me the story about the cops bringing me in, wheeled me up in my room. I was belligerent, you know, and then I yeah. passed out and they put me in bed fully clothed. And uh, that day I decided, you know, going to my first appointment, there was a group of coworkers there. I slept in this guy's office for a minute. I said, look, can I use your office? I'm going to make a call. The window was open. I couldn't breathe. I smelled like alcohol mm. from the week. Musty and, smell. Uh, oh, my. It yeah. sat on the windowsill, and I said, you know what? How am I going to explain this to anybody? It may be just time for me to lean back. I'm up 44 floors, and when I hit the ground, I won't feel a thing. Guy walks in. He goes, what are you doing, man? You're going to fall out the window. And they you were, were actually standing there? I was ready? sitting on the windowsill. I, the window was open because it was a hot day in New York yeah. in November. And I was prepared to kill myself. Fuck, man. What's going through your mind at that point? Well, at that point, it's interesting. A, a, a funny tape went through my mind when my mom used to say, you know, suicide is selfish. Because I can remember as a kid, I used to yeah. say, I want to just kill myself. And I'd leave okay. these notes. And I'm sure some of you can relate to that. Oh, yeah. You know? I think I did that a couple and, times. And um, <laughs> one day, she actually, you know, she, she made a note for me so I could carry it around. You know, suicide is selfish. And, and that thing in my head, the guy intervening, um, I just pushed myself forward, started crying. I got on the phone, called my wife, woke her up, and I said, look, call, call the doctor and tell him I'm ready. Flew home that night and uh, checked into rehab. That was the uh, 11th of November, 1984, two days of medication, so my sobriety date's uh, November 13th, uh, 1984. Wow, man. So, shit, I can't do my math right now, but... Uh, a little over 32 that? years. Man. Congratulations, man. I only That's know like that because my, my wife forgot last year, and we had she made up for it this year. <laughs> she gave me 20 cards on my birthday. and You know, and it's I, I, when I hear people talk about long-term sobriety, I, I wonder, you know, and my attitude is like, I just want people to know there is hope and there is help. Yeah. And that, you know, when you think about how many days that is in a row, it's, it's a lot. But I, you know, I've had a lot of stuff happen in sobriety, too, that was yeah. kind of tough. And I know that you know, when, when people talk about struggling with, you know, and especially in the rooms about early recovery and thinking about, yeah. oh my God, how am I going to get through another day? You know, I, all I did was this and that for years and uh, I did it too and I get it. So I'm, I'm now in the business. Um, yeah. I, I run a treatment center and, and I do crisis coaching and intervention and I believe that if I can help somebody get access to treatment, then, you know, I'm doing not only the work I'm supposed to be doing, but you know what God wants me to do. Yeah. I love that, man. If I'm, if I'm staying focused on, um, on God and putting him first, um, my, my day can seem to go pretty damn smooth and easy. And as soon as I get out of that, um, that thinking and I start trying to control my stuff, man, my, my days can get yeah. jacked up real quick. Can I give you some feedback? I would love it. Yesterday when the equipment wasn't working, mm -hmm. I kind of looked like God might have been taking a break while you were going through getting your equipment working. Exactly. Man. And that, and you exactly. know, it's so funny in life w between what we do each day and how we get through it, if we don't have some sort of connection to something other than ourselves, you know, and I know a lot of people have an issue with the God stuff and, and yeah. I'm a firm believer. And we, it's interesting, I'm a 12-step guy, Yeah. you know, and I believe in absence-based recovery, but I run a treatment center that's not 12-step based and we believe in you know medication assisted treatment we be believe in helping people with harm reduction and we believe in meeting you know our clients where they're at because one yeah. size does not fit all and i believe that if we can eliminate some of the stigma and the barriers to treatment we'd see more people come in but probably come in with a different attitude because yeah. at the end of yeah. the day you know 360 people are dying in our country every single day from addiction and 94 of them from prescription medication so to to weigh to weigh in on what are we going to do to change this? I mean, it's a big, it's a pandemic, and you look at what's going on with opiates, you look what's going on with fentanyl, and you look what's going on with the cocktails people are taking today. And you know, one more fact, and I'll let you go on on your question next, Jane. Is 2015 264 million 
prescriptions for opiates were, writ were written in this country, and they're only written by medical professionals. So yeah. I think there's a population out there, if we can help them get educated, we, maybe we could slow it down a little bit, and then if we can get the resources and the industry to look at it and treat it appropriately, we could start saving lives. Yeah, yeah. there's an article I just, I just came across about that out in Florida, um, about the, the manufacturer for, I think it was Oxycontin, um, and there's a big case pending right now for just what you're speaking of. Is that the one they, in Virginia? Um, I think it was in Florida. I think Might I have it. Uh, um, anyways, yeah. It, I mean, it, there's going to be a true. lot of those, there's, unfortunately, because they're the, you know that the company that makes that product. That's the only product they make, I believe, is yeah, Purdue, a, which is fascinating. And people always ask me. I do periodic interviews, and I'm a, one of the experts for our local news station. And the question always comes up is. Is there someone to blame for all this? And, you know, my attitude is, well, no. I mean, blaming the, the pharmaceutical manufacturers, like telling the cocaine grower down in South America, Colombia, you know, it, it, you're the reason why we have a drug problem. You know, we have a demand in this country, unfortunately, yeah. that we have to find a way to show people that there are alt alternatives to mood-altering substances. And yeah. is it your job to do it? Is it my job to do it? Is the yeah. mom and dad's job to do it? Is the school's job to do it? I think we all have to chime into a little bit of it and yeah. you know, own it. Well, I think, and you, you brought up a good point when you were saying your, um, you know, your your own recovery in 30, 32 years, you know, the drug and the alcohol uh, space of it is is the face of the problem, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's up front, but really it's about dealing with life. You've been clean and sober for 32 years. I'm sure you've had some... Um, extremely joyful times and some extremely rough times where you've had to deal with things, but you've cut out the alcohol and the drugs to deal with that. You've got to deal with life. So basically what I'm getting at is a recovery program is not just about quitting, you know, the, whatever it is you're addicted to. It's about learning how to deal with life. I, you know what? It's, it, that's a great point. And, and my favorite topic, you know, in a meeting is living life on life's terms. Because when yeah. you think about it, once you remove the mood altering substance, the example that I like is is diabetes. When you get yeah. diagnosed with diabetes, you go in, you do an intake, you do an evaluation, insurance pays for whatever you need, and then you're going to be on some sort of monitoring mechanism with insulin for the rest of your life. And, there, and you know, yeah. people that get, oh, thank God I found the cure. This is great. I can live a normal life now. I just yeah. have to do a few things. And if you compare the disease of addiction, which finally, after 50 years, the Surgeon General has finally said it is a physical addiction, yeah. not a, you know, a moral, you know, you know, deficiency, that if we treated it like that, we, we'd find ourselves, I think, not only feeling better, but doing better. But to your point, when you've spent, look, I only spent 15 years under the influence of mood altering, and you know, the science says you start using, you stop growing emotionally. So at 15, yeah. I started using, and at 30, when I stopped, uh, I had the emotional you know, maturation rate of a 15-year-old. So yeah. it takes a few years to kind of ramp back in, and that's the frustrating part. But once you stabilize and you get the tools, I mean, I had a situation the other day that came up from this guy from 56 years ago found me on Facebook. Really? 56 years that's ago. A long, yeah, that's a long time. Shut up, Mr. 35. <laughs> so he goes, are you the guy that lived on a street in La Mesa, blah, blah, blah? And I go, yes, I am. Thinking, oh, this is, he saw me on the news. Yeah. He goes, you know, you were such a bully. And, really? and my two friends who lived in the same street with you, we would walk across the street. This is a part of the community where there were no sidewalks. So it was a little street. And we were afraid of you. And I'm thinking, I was seven years old. And this guy just popped up out of the blue. He remembered that for all, he carried that shit for all those years. years. So wow. 
I said to him, look, I am so sorry, and I want to make my amends. I cannot honestly tell you I remember those days. And he goes, we were so happy when you moved out at seven. And I wasn't, we didn't move out. I left there when I was 15. I explained that to him in, in the messaging. And I said, I was sent to a special school. <laughs> and he goes, well, we thought you moved <laughs> out, so we felt yeah. safer. So I made my amends immediately with this. And you know, I showed it to my wife, and she read it, and she goes, don't, don't, don't show this to the kids because my kids have never seen me loaded. You know, they're 25 yeah. and 30, so they never saw me hunt. And it, but it was fascinating. But I was able to make the amends immediately, and I felt bad that he felt bad. And then he emails back, I can finally let this go. After that long, man. After that's all this. But even at seven, like seven, I don't know. Which remember. tells you the kind of guy I really am, Shane. Evidently, when I make a first impression, it <laughs> lasts. Oh, my that's God. For sure. I felt so bad for a couple of days. So I sent him a copy of my book, which I gave you one. But yes, he, and you. I actually signed it. But I put my real name down, too. And, and he got it the other day and emailed me. He says, you know, I can't tell you how grateful I am for you taking the time to do this. I had no idea you'd even respond because the only memories I have of you is when we were both seven years old. And I thought you were the worst human being on the planet. At Man, seven. At seven. I can't remember the shit I did at seven. Um, yeah, but and, for you, that was only 26 years ago. And for I me, still, it was 56 I years know, ago. I know, and I still can't remember. So it's amazing that that, that, that man carried that, uh, that memory around. Well, I like you. I couldn't remember either because a lot of things happened between that, and that time and now. But just it's just amazing to me. What was amazing was, A, that he would, there was a reason why he came out yeah. of where he came from. And there was a reason why I responded to it. Because most people go, up yours, and move on. But I... I see that as a God thing, though. Like, to me, exactly. that, that's, that, that's what I think it is. I mean, God makes those connections. And I teed that up for you, Sue. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. You did. Because um, I'm looking is, for a regular gig with you on this show. <laughs> I hope I sound okay, by the you way. You sound great. You've yeah. you got a natural radio voice. Thank you. Um, it's... Th those situations come, but God God presents them. This is me. I don't know. This is my opinion. But I, I feel and I believe that God pre uh, presents us with those types of situations. But it's up to us to choose whether or not we uh, or how we react to them or if we react to them at all. We have to recognize this. Accept it for what it is. Yeah. Rather than trying to figure out, you know, and I know, God, I heard it this morning in a meeting. You know, we, we spend a lot of time sometimes just trying to figure out what we need to figure out. And yeah. And if you can figure out it's okay not to figure it out, peace, serenity, balance, <laughs> happiness comes a yeah. lot quicker and it, and it embraces you in a warm, in a warm hug. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like emotional nudity. Emotional nudity. That's a warm hug right there. There you, there you go. Um, you, you mentioned... And in some environments, you can get arrested for that here now in absolutely. California. Yeah, you, you might be labeled for life. If uh, Yeah, that's very true. Um, you mentioned your kids. Your kids have never seen you drunk or loaded. Uh, you know, thankfully for me, my daughter was was two when I uh, when I got clean and sober, um, so I can't say that she remembers Daddy getting you know getting jacked up. Um, I take a lot of pride in that myself because I came from a background of um, pretty dysfunctional household, a lot of alcoholism, drugs. Right. Um, I, I feel you know up until today I've broken that cycle. Uh, what what has that been like for you to to have your kids grow up and not have to see dad intoxicated? I mean, we're not perfect by any means. We still you know do dumb shit. Um, I, well, some I, of us I'll more speak than for others. myself. No, no, right, well, right, no, you, know, you can speak for me all day long, and <laughs> you're gonna miss the mark. Trust me, <laughs> I am my, I am a good witness, and I was there for most of it, and I can remember a lot of it. You know, I think it's just to be a better role model today, and and yeah. to you know, I, I was one of those drive-by parents. I call it, you know, when my kids are growing up and. I'm working on a second book right now, which I'm really excited about. And 
I've asked my oldest daughter to contribute to it. She goes, well, oh, Dad, you know, cool. I never saw you loaded. I go, well, how about your perspective then of being the daughter of a dad who's in recovery yeah. or a dad who used to be an alcoholic and just your perspective? That's a huge perspective because you don't hear about that often. No. I mean, at least I don't. I, I haven't came across much. But to your uh, earlier question, what's it like, you know, because, you know, you go in the room sometimes. What's that saying that half the people are there? Half the people are there to hear how bad it is for others so they can feel good, and the other half <laughs> yeah. aren't really sure why they're there, but they're afraid not to be there. Yeah. So, you know, and that, that's yeah, just one of those 17 sense. million sayings that nobody can keep up yeah. with that shifts every week, and that's assuming you don't go to a methamphetamine anonymous meeting, and they shift every two to three minutes. <laughs> but that's just my opinion, and, you know, it, it's... Uh, so I, I, I'm proud to, to be able to say to my kids, you know, if you have questions about it, because, look, they're 25 and 30. They've gone through it with school. My yeah. daughter went to... She hates when I'm out her, but you know she went to Santa Cruz, and I used to go visit her. Oh my God! I oh, mean, Santa Cruz is. Uh, I mean, I love Santa Cruz. Don't get me wrong. Oh no, it's a, a great school. There's a, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of drugs. You know, and when you get kicked area. out of the dorms, because at some point, even though they're very sensitive to allowing people to do their own thing, they, when they get kicked out of the dorms, there they just go live in the forest and they grow shit and they bring it down to the yeah. rest of the dormers. Yep. So you know, now that marijuana is legal. Uh, we're going to see some real challenges with our youth as their brain doesn't develop like it's supposed to. But topic for another day. So to answer your question, though, to be a good role model, to to, to be able to talk with my kids. And, and they have, look, the nice thing is my daughter went to uh, a school in Arizona uh, and she'd have stuff go on there and she'd call me and she had a friend that was you know near near-death experience a couple of them and the fact that they're able to call on me and I can be a resource for them and even if I can't directly I can direct them and, and to be that be that part or a role model because I deal with families all the time in my crisis coaching piece where you know by the way I want to just make sure I get my my website out there it's yourcrisiscoach.com yourcrisiscoach.com and the phone number and I'm gonna give you my direct line and I dare people to call me is 619 993-2738-619-993-2738. And most of my coaching is done by phone chain, so I can help anybody anywhere oh, nice. in the country. Just over, over Skype, telephone, or however, or is it strictly phone, or however? Yeah, and it. I just learned the new Google chat room. Google chat? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, there's, you know, technology has just done some amazing well, stuff. You know, and, and with the cell phones today and everything, basically, almost free data plans. The thing yeah. is, I'm now a phone call away, and the, the thing, I'm not a clinician. Um, you probably could tell that when you looked me in the eyes. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I saw right through you. <laughs> you could right through me. And uh, I, what I do, though, is I've done this for a long time, worked with families for a long time. So what I was getting about talking about families is I can bring something to the table that a lot of, you know, even seasoned clinicians can't because I deal with a lot of families at a lot of levels. And I used to work with ex-offenders and people returning from prison. So yeah. I've had some very interesting experience. And I'm a firm believer that, you know, if it takes one to help one. Yeah. And that's where it starts. Yeah. Let's uh, so you gave me a copy of the book, which was super nice. You, I really please don't say it, that out loud. Normally, it's fifteen dollars. Okay, we're well, gonna have to buy it, folks. I'm sorry, it's unless good. you run into Scott on the streets of San Diego or at an Innovations and Recovery Conference. Right. But it's titled "Tell Me No, I Dare You." Uh, tell us a little bit about the book, Scott, and where where people could find it. Well, they can find it right exactly on my website, and I'll say it again. Uh, thanks for that opportunity. Is yourcrisiscoach.com. You can buy it right there, and I'll send it to you, and I'll sign it if you'd like. And what um, what the idea of the book was, you know, that the concept itself is to simply allow people to get to yes. And the idea of yes is, you know, most of us grow up with somebody's finger in our face. I call it the shame-based finger of, uh, of, yeah. of fun. And, you know, you're not tall enough or you're, you know, you're, you're just not smart enough or you can't go to that college or you shouldn't hang out with those people or why are you out in the back, you know, with a, a paintbrush and whatever that might be. Yeah. We hear no a lot. So the idea of the book is how to get to yes. And 
the journey of the book. A little bit's mine, and a lot of it's people that I used to serve. So it. it's uh, anecdotal and experiential. It's nonfiction, and I wrote it actually back in 2008. Uh, you were just graduating high school. Training, you know, the <laughs> I graduated in 99, but thank you. I appreciate that. That's okay. You know, yeah, I can, it goes I can, by fast. I can lie publicly today to people I care about and don't yeah, know. Absolutely. I love it. I there love are it. No, boundaries. no boundaries. Especially knowing that I'm going to leave soon and I'll never see you again until I talk to you on the radio. Down yeah, the we'll, we'll, we'll talk again for sure. So it, the idea was to just create a kind of a handbook. And what I've learned from the book itself and the feedback I've gotten, I'm going to my second book and hopefully I'll... I'll have it out uh, maybe fall of 2017, maybe early spring of 2018. And what I've done with this new book is I've created stories from families and what to do. So the idea is going to be when you need help, you're going to go to the new book and you're going to find a kindred spirit, a significant other, a parent, a child, you know, a coworker, a faith-based leader, and somebody in there is going to tell you a story about something similar, what's going on with you to be an opportunity. We're going to list some resources, some phone numbers, and ways to get help because I want to spend the rest of my adult life doing whatever I can to be of service to others. And I want to help monetize that, which means, you know, when I go to a Rotary Club or a service club and I speak to 20 people, it's great. But if I can find a way to get the message out, like, you know, to your 275,000 listeners. Yeah, something like that. As I think it's 280, there. Some, somewhere 280. around there. Yeah, yeah. you know, we can and then think, well, you know what, maybe Scott's right. You know, what? Uh, maybe, maybe I should make a phone call. Yeah. Maybe, you know, because, you know, when we break a leg, we don't go on YouTube and see how to correct it. We, yeah. we go to the doctor, you know. We <laughs> yeah, go that's to, a good point. Or we go to rotator tires and we've never done it before. And all we have is a toothpick and, a, you know, a pair of tweezers. <laughs> MacGyver style. We go, we go to <laughs> the experts and say, you know, yeah. can you help me with this? And so yeah. I just really encourage people to do that. And if you're yeah. listening out there and you don't know what to do, don't try to do it yourself. I mean, that, I don't know how much simpler I can make that statement. And it's really more of an invitation to go, you know what, if you need help ask for it yeah I'm, I'm a firm believer in that too there's no ask weakness in asking for help if anything or strength give a give the number out one more time Scott okay I'm going to give you my direct line which is uh, 619 area code 993-2738 that is my direct cell phone number and then I'll hook you up with our confidentialrecovery.com which is our outpatient program here in San Diego and if you're in San Diego listening and we can be of some help the number there is 619-452-452 1200. We're right off of Miramar Road. We're an outpatient program and we have in network insurance. Awesome. Scott, thanks so much for joining us today. Once again, that's yourcrisiscoach.com. You can find Scott there. Thanks for listening uh, from Innovations in Recovery 2017. Uh, big thanks to Foundations Recovery Network for sponsoring us and bringing us Thank out you here. Foundations. Yes. Peace, love, respect. Keep your butt clean.